the point I want to make is, remember, it's an indicator. KPIs don't necessarily answer questions. An indicator is a gauge, sign, or symptom. It tells us where to get started or where to look, not necessarily the answer. Just like a pulse. If I, if I check my pulse and it's high, then I know what to go check. Or if it's low, then I know what to go check. If, it's, if I can't find a pulse, I got bigger problems. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another great episode of Out of the Hourglass. Today, we're bringing you a special episode, one that is generated from a recent webinar, Bringing KPIs into Focus, led by NCG Senior Coach and Director of Finance, Andrew Amrine. At Nolan Consulting Group, we strongly believe businesses should be utilizing KPIs, known as Key Performance Indicators, to keep a pulse on the health of the business. While there is a multitude of different KPIs that we look to review on a regular basis, this episode highlights seven unique KPIs that we believe should come into focus as we march forward into the months ahead of 2022. From the Net Promoter Score to Employee Turnover, Labor Efficiency Ratio, LERs, and more, Andrew shares the impact that KPI awareness makes on your business strategy and the directional health of your company's financial statements. A special thanks to Dylan Ayler, Director of Finance and Operations at Two Dudes Painting in Lancaster, PA, for jumping into the conversation and sharing how the dudes are using certain KPIs, especially when it comes to employee retention and the impact of turnover. And lastly, a quick note to our NCG clients. If specific questions arise as you listen to this episode, we encourage you to talk to your coach, ask questions, and take notes of the KPIs that you'd like to make a focus in the year ahead. Out of the Hourglass is a podcast channel dedicated to helping small business owners and contractors visualize their goals, develop high-performing teams, and build sustainable growth. It's time to get out of the hourglass. Glad to be with everyone here. Um, numbers tell the story of your business. Um, I, I, I can't help but think this, this is the high point of the year, the numbers webinar. I mean, this is the, the one event everybody's been waiting for, at least in my world. Molly's giving me a little bit of a laugh. How do I look at numbers that don't confuse me or I don't need a master's degree to understand? How can I quickly get a pulse of how the company's doing? So a pulse says a lot about a person, but it doesn't say everything. So key performance indicators, indicators, KPIs, are just that. They are directional. They're a guide to where we need to start looking. KPIs may not give us the exact answer we're looking for, but they are extremely important. They're a quick insight into what's happening in the business. And if we understand them, then we can know where the business is going and know where to spend our precious time. Where, where should I start digging deeper in the business? So I often get asked, so Andrew, what, what do you look at? What are the key things when, when I send you the financial spreadsheet? What is it you go to? What do you look at? And that evolves over time, certainly the P&L and the balance sheet. But I, I think if I was going to make a list, and what Molly and I set out to do here is make a list right here, right now, for 2022, um, certainly subject to change, I guess. But these are, the, these are seven things that 
I would be looking at, if not every day, almost every day. Um, I'm looking forward. We do have some uh, guest speaker to join me. Uh, Dylan from Two Dudes is, is going to join us as well to talk about how they're implementing some of the things. So I, we have a great show for you here, great discussion. We're going to talk about net promoter score. We're going to talk about employee turnover, safety, labor efficiency ratio. This is a new one. Gross profit per hour. And then we're going to head to the balance sheet, current ratio, and days cash on hand. Some changes there. Maybe, maybe a little bit of, of uh, I don't want to say controversy, but challenge on the days cash on hand. So I'm looking forward to digging into that. So let's get started. Net promoter score. Okay, so what is net promoter score? Many of you have heard us talk about this. Sometimes it, it gets pigeonholed into a marketing metric. It's just one more customer satisfaction metric. I would say not so much. I would say it's much bigger than that. So it was originally developed in 2001 to really focus on customer loyalty, something bigger than customer satisfaction. The creators suggest, and I agree, that the desire to recommend your company to other people is probably the ultimate metric. More than just, am I satisfied? Do I, have I satisfied with any one aspect? But the, the top three things, product, service, and experience. So product being what we sell, that's what everybody talks about, quality, professionalism, the service we provide. Were we friendly? Our behaviors, did we interact in a professional way? But then it's also the experience, the sum total of it all, from phone call to completion, were all the details handled? What, what experience did, did uh, a customer have from beginning to end? Those are three distinct things that I think Net Promoter Score captures. So I'm talking about it first because I, I think this is the first one to start focusing on. If we don't have customers, Maul, we don't have a business. I do enjoy coming to work. What's that? We need the customers, don't we? we we've got to have the customers. So uh, there are, I mean, you know, we just in preparing for this podcast, there were probably 20 different KPIs that we talked about and there's hundreds. So where do I, it's like overwhelming. So where do I focus? Even for a numbers guy like me, I, I love numbers, but I, I need help focusing and customers are number one. So I would say start here. Get good at collecting net promoter score. Okay, so what is net promoter score? It's something you're going to include on a report card or employee survey. It's very simple to understand, which I think is why it's become so popular. Uh, at this point, um, there were, I think, I'm looking for my note here. Oh, Fortune, okay, two-thirds of Fortune 1000 companies are using this metric. So it, it's all over the place. Since 2001, it's it, many, many, many companies are using it. I think because it's simple and easy to use, 
the results direct go directly to financials. If you've got a high net promoter score, then you're probably achieving financial goals. If you're not, there's maybe some other reason. But success with your customers is a direct link. It's also adaptable. So companies are starting to use it as a net employee promoter score. How much do our employees like working here? And it's this, the same ultimate question. The, the job, the service, and the experience, how likely are they to refer that to a friend uh, or acquaintance to work here? It's a key question. Okay, how does it work? On a scale of one to 10, how likely are you to refer our company to a friend or colleague? Zero to six is considered a detractor. So what's a detractor? Well, that person is walking away diminished in some way. They are not happy with something. They didn't get what they wanted. There was an expectation that wasn't met. We talk about pain a lot when we talk about uh, the sales process and Jim and I train the sales process. So we've probably created some pain if they're giving us a zero through six. Seven or an eight would be considered passive, apathetic. We didn't do bad, but we didn't do that great either. Nine and 10 would be considered promoters. These are the people who the, the creators of this and the research that they did were most likely to, to go out and promote your company, a nine and a 10. So wh why not sevens and eights? So in, in the research where the numbers fell, not eights, nines, and tens weren't good enough. It was the nines and tens that were actually going out and promoting. Sevens and eights, it didn't really follow through on that. So let's do some maths. So now how do I calculate this? Or before I go there, um, so this is something you could include on a report card. The net in net promoter score, and I think this is where some confusion maybe lies. This is not an average. It is a, a bit of a calculation. So it, it's a net promoter score because we're subtracting something just like net profit subtracts costs from revenue. Net promoter score is promoters, the percent of promoters minus the percent of detractors. So I'm subtracting the people who went away with pain from the people who went away with maybe promise. Let's keep going. Okay, let's stick to maybe the soft skills. If, there, if there's a ladder of success and, and one, one leg of the ladder is hard skills, the other leg of the ladder is soft skills, Let's stick to the soft skills part. So employee turnover is the next one. What is employee turnover? Well, it's a fairly simple metric. Employee turnover equals number of people uh, separated. So that's a nice way of saying fired or quit or let go. Number of people separated divided by average number of employees for that period. So let's say over a quarter, let's say over, over a three month period or, or a one month period, five people were quit or let go. And we're specifically, I would, in this case, I would specifically say the field. 
five people were quit or let go. We had 30 average employees in the field. So that would be approximately a 17% turnover rate. Those five people made up 17% of the workforce. Let's look at some real numbers. So this is these are numbers from a summit member, uh, MB Jesse. So I appreciate these the research that they did putting this together. They went back three years, so 2021, 2020, and 2019, and calculated what the trend was or what their historical performance was. And so you can see in in 2019. They had a hundred over a hundred percent turnover. In other words, they let more people go than they actually had on average. So that means they hired way more people than they actually had in 2020. That dropped to 63%, partially, I think, from COVID, um, the impact there of COVID, but you can still see 63% turnover. So uh, 34 employees let go or separated divided by 54 employees on average. And then in 2021, so there's, there's a, with, with 2020 being a blip, there's a little bit of a trend here. It's getting more and more challenging. And I don't think that's going to change team on average. They had 67, let's call it 68 employees. There's no such thing as 0.6 of a person. So we'll call it 68. But they let 78 people go and they hired 90. How closely are you monitoring results like this? I know I know we we know anecdotally or we know kind of in our head we're hiring a lot of people and we're letting go a lot of people. But are we really paying attention to this number? And so I, I want to bring up uh, Dylan from Two Dudes, who's got, uh, it's really, I think, on the front edge of this, they're, the dudes are really doing a lot of thinking about the impact of turnover and retention. So Dylan, I appreciate you making time for us here. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you and I spoke earlier, we, we talked about a handful of things, but can you, can you tell us what the dudes, what you're <clears throat> focusing on when it comes to turnover, what what impact this is making? Yeah, I mean, we're doing we're doing a lot of things. Our our new and we we focus um, instead of kind of on you know total employee turnover, we're focused really on new employee turnover. So basically, the ratio of people that we hire versus the ratio of people that we fire or let go within a year. So over the last in 2020 and 2021, we basically haven't added anybody to our our staff structurally because we've in both years. Uh, either, you know, let go or had separated more or the same amount of people that we've hired. And so we know in order to, to grow that we have to start adding to our, our staff in a structural way. Um, a lot of our focus is this, you know, we, a couple of things. I think the first thing that we identified in our kind of offsite training was focusing more on teams and microculture. So a lot of our exit interviews, a lot of our, we actually do a net promoter score internally, an employee net promoter score. Um, a lot of the, the feedback we get is always like, oh, I love the dudes, but I kind of hate the guy I work for. And we started kind of thinking more and more about that. And, you know, I remember doing an exit interview with an employee. He's like, hey, I, I really like working for you. I think you're awesome, Dylan. But, you know, those guys you have running, running jobs out in the field for you, just knuckleheads. 
And I realized that I couldn't retain people. So we're focusing more on, on training for our field leadership now. As a result, we have a 10 course seminar that's focused on not just, um, not just um, you know, employee relations, but also customer relations, problem solving. Uh, and those 10 courses all have an associated sort of reading assignment um, and a reading list. And we're requiring all of our managers to do that monthly. So that's I think one it's thing pretty, I mean, it's pretty intuitive. If you look around enough, you, you see that people leave their managers. They yeah. don't they don't leave a company. They leave Correct. their boss, the person they're working for. I love the dudes. I just don't like this dude. Yep. Yep. Um, um, and we, Andrew, we were talking too, you know, as a, as a finance person myself, I'm looking at it, you know, when it first gets floated, I'm like, okay, we got to pay for all these books. We got to bring them back to the shop for two hours a month. We got to do it for, I mean, we have in our different leadership tracks, nearly half of our company in a leadership track of some course. So for two hours a month, we're, we're taking half of our team out of the field. All those costs start adding up. We we found that it kind of pays for itself. Though. I mean, we just see an elevated understanding of, of what our leaders think of themselves. The second we give them a book and say, hey, challenge yourself to grow as a manager. But Dylan, and, I, we didn't we, I mean, we we put these guys through a six-week crew leader training. They should be yeah. crew leaders, right? Aren't they? <laughs> isn't that, can't we just, you know, we put them through the training and boom, like magic, yeah. they're crew leaders. Yeah. And we realized, you know, we have crew leaders that are good at doing they're okay managers. They're managers, better managers of their project than they are of their people now. So we're trying to teach them how to become yeah. managers of their people. Um, and on a KPI basis, you know, we're PFPing retention. So new, new employee retention um, for everybody from our job leaders all the way up to, to my level. So everybody within the company is, is PFP based on retention. And our new, our new employee retention goal is 75% or, or 70%. So if we hire 10 people, we want to keep three of them. That's our goal. Yeah, good point. So there, there is another metric on here. I, I started with just total employee turnover, but a, a metric that kind of we created is I'm, I'm calling it new employee turnover. So if I, if I hire five and let four go, then I've, I've gained one. So this company, they hired 90, they let 78 go. So 87% of the people that I hire are leaving. So I've got to hire 10 to keep one. That's what that, so I'm just, I'm, I'm simplifying the formula to hire to hires and fires. Yeah. And in, in this scenario, they've, they've got to hire 10 because eight and a half are going to leave. And, and we find that a more manageable goal to track because your in total turnover can change based on your average employees. And so that can fluctuate a little bit more. I just think conceptually to say, Hey, I need to get it down my ratio of yeah, higher 10 so I can keep four and just keep building that way is a more kind of uh, intuitive and easier way to kind of understand how to, how to achieve that goal and the goal set. And so are your teams, so what's now you're, you're taking this metric and turning it into behaviors. So yeah. leadership training, reading books, are they, I, I can feel an objection from the audience. I mean, are they doing it? Are they engaged in it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, feel it through the computer. There's I mean, an objection. There's there's varying levels of engagement. Um, I think everybody's engaging at least on some level, which is important. And you know, we also are even if they're not, maybe the reading's a little bit challenging, or they they don't really engage with the reading. We're we're doing two hour sessions. We're really kind of drilling down into a lesson plan as well to kind of distribute that. Um, and like I said before, even if even if they're not even retaining any of that, we've we found that just elevating the understanding of what it means to be a leader within our organization to elevate their understanding of themselves. 
So, so we've raised the expectation on them. It seems that they're raising the expectation on themselves and taking pride in, in the, themselves as managers yeah. even more now. That's so true. You know, it's, it's sometimes hard to believe, but I, if, if you expect low of people, they'll hit it. If you expect high of people, yep. they'll hit it. And that, that's from yep. How to Win Friends and Influence People, which was written in 1932. These, these, these aren't new ideas. These aren't, these aren't new things. Um, so awesome, man. I, I appreciate you sharing that. I'm looking forward to see, hearing more uh, down the road. Yep. As it goes. Thank you. I Thank appreciate you it. Yep. Safety. So we, we can't have KPIs. Catherine really, really, really wanted to make sure you have safety on the list, right? And I said, yes, 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 yes. We've got to have safety on the list. If you listen to the podcast uh, podcasts that Molly and I did, um, I guess a couple months ago or a month ago, we went through KPIs for every department. That was a much bigger list. But we talked about how some KPIs are calculated some KPIs are counted. And so safety is one that I, I want to throw out there that is really better counted than calculated. What do I mean by that? So don't, if you, it would not be best practice to do a safety KPI based on scores. What is our safety score? So no accidents. How many, how many accidents in the past 30 days or past year? That's a calculation. And it risks incentivizing bad behavior. So nobody wants to be the first accident. So nobody reports it. Safety is a situation where I think tabulating and counting is best. How many safety huddles have we gotten? How many uh, daily huddles or weekly huddles, um, hopefully daily. How many daily huddles has each crew submitted? Has each crew submitted a daily huddle? So I'm not incentivizing a score. I'm incentivizing a behavior or I'm asking for a behavior that this get done. Well, so that means I'm, I'm going to have to look at the submittals and make sure that they're at a quality level that I need. But it, it, that is worth, that price is worth it to not risk incentivizing a bad behavior. So it's back to that test and learn approach. Just like net promoter score, uh, which I, I think I, I didn't mention, net promoter score is the same way. If you, if you wanna do some type of reward, a monetary reward, a PFP, or, or just promote a number, I don't think you wanna give a reward on a net promoter score result because that's how you get people manipulating the results by the way if if you can give me a 10 i won't get in trouble because we'll keep our score i need that 10 incentivize just getting the report card back that we want 60 percent or 70 percent of report cards back i want to count them and we've got 70 out of 100 back uh, rather than incentivizing the score safety is also that way and the, the thing i if in 2022, what's the metric? I think counting daily safety huddles. Do we have a daily safety huddle for every crew? Are we starting the day off safe uh, and planful? And I, I, would, I would submit that, I would put that out there for 2022.
a form that you could use. A lot of people are using Smartsheet, so I can't help but suggest that. A lot of people are using Smartsheet. Another system is wufuforms.com, wufu.com, to collect surveys and, and simply collecting them from your team, make it easy, have answers uh, pre-filled out or fields uh, pre-filled out that you want everyone to complete so that they don't have to guess. Um, and this has been a huge success for a lot of people uh, creating a form and collecting them every day. Okay, a quick review. KPI, Key Performance Indicator. The point I wanna make is, remember it's an indicator. KPIs don't necessarily answer questions. An indicator is a gauge, sign, or symptom. If you go to Webster's, that's what it'll, it'll tell you. A gauge, sign, or symptom. It tells us where to get started or where to look, not necessarily the answer. Just like a pulse, if I, if I check my pulse and it's high, then I know what to go check. Or if it's low, then I know what to go check. If, it's, if I can't find a pulse, I got bigger problems. <laughs> All right, so let's, let's make the jump now to some financial KPIs. We've talked about some soft skills and I, I put those three first on purpose because I, I think this year, more than ever, every year, the soft skill KPIs get more and more important. Okay, this is fun. A new one, we've been looking at this for about three or four years now. We've been gathering, trying to gather benchmarkable data and, and get results to see if this is meaningful. And I gotta tell you, I've, I've been blown away by it. So we, uh, I, we took this from a book, Scaling Up, probably five years ago at this point and started looking at it. The question from my point of view that I, I look for is we work with lots of different trades that all have very different gross profit models. But what makes them all right? Why is 45% in res repaint right? Well, that, that's just the way it's always been. We've been benchmarking for 15 years and it's always been 45. Said no effective financial manager ever. I like Just because that's the way it's always been, that's not a good reason. Same thing with Remodelers, so why is 25% in remodeling? How come it's not 30? How come it's not 35? How can I figure this out? Something beyond just that's the way it's always been. Okay, enter labor efficiency ratios. So another way of looking at gross profit as well as overhead. Efficiency, a labor efficiency metric measures, okay, the dollars of revenue for every $1 of labor cost. So I'm trying to reduce my revenue and, and, grow, and cost of goods sold, my P&L, to a number, the higher the better. How many dollars of revenue for every $1 of labor cost? The formula is we're gonna take revenue divided by labor cost, but as a way to level the playing field. Revenue minus materials, minus subcontractors, minus equipment, pass-through costs. So minus materials, minus subs, minus field equipment. Why is that a pass-through cost? Okay, well, the customer could have just as easily paid the cabinet maker or the, the countertop manufacturer 
or the paint supplier. We did them a service by paying the bill for them, but they the customer could have just as easily paid that. They could have just as easily paid the subcontractor directly. So that money technically didn't come into the business for the business to use at our discretion. So I'm subtracting out pass-through costs. So revenue minus materials, minus subs, minus equipment gives me what I would call the discretionary revenue that we had that actually came into the business. Divided by all my labor, the rest of cost of goods sold. So all of cost of goods sold is accounted for here. So it's another way of looking at gross profit. So the benchmark, I've, I've been shocked by this across every, almost every industry we work with, the benchmark has come in at 2.1. This number is in the 2022 uh, Summit Financials. So you can go back and reference it uh, for your budget and for the actuals. But a, a number of 2.1 or higher, if, if you're achieving 2.1 or higher, then you're doing a pretty good job. The only exceptions, two exceptions, have been floors. And flooring, uh, concrete floors, has been uh, upwards of three, getting up to a $3 of revenue for every $1 of labor cost. I'm convinced that's the case because the risks are higher. And the other exception is power washing. Power washing is also up in three, and I, I think because it's a very efficient model. Other than that, from remodelers to paving contractors to landscapers to the paint, even within the paint world, the commercial painters, um, residential painters, 2.1 has come out as, as the metric or as the benchmark for this number. All right. Well, if, if I can judge, is my labor efficient? Are we efficiently producing labor? I can also say, well, what about my overhead? Am I efficiently producing overhead? In other words, how much gross profit am I producing or, or are, is the company generating for every dollar of overhead payroll. This formula, much simpler, gross profit divided by overhead payroll costs, which would include taxes. So the overhead total payroll and taxes. This metric has been a little bit less stable because of the variations in how owners pay themselves, either through all through payroll or all through distribution. So there's some variability here, but generally it comes back about the same. 2.1. So gross profit divided by payroll costs. If you're higher than 2.1, so I, I do see some companies as they grow, they get up into the three and four range. And that's wonderful. We're producing a lot of gross profit with the overhead that we have, but people are probably running in the red. So this one's a balance. It's kind of like that odometer. You're, we're running in the red and we need, we need to either hire a new sales rep or we need to hire some staff in the office. The RPMs drop and we ramp up again. So this one is more of a balance or, or a finding that balance. Okay, so let, let's keep going. And our, with the time we have left, let's, let's keep going. So uh, Steve Talkington, I really have to give Steve credit. Another way of trying to look across different divisions, not just across industries, to finding from our perspective, something that we can measure across different industries, but also is meaningful for owners to look at. What about within one company where you have different services happening? 
where gross profit percentages might be different. So we have a lot of people doing remodeling or painting and they're doing concrete floors or and they're, they're doing painting and they want to get into carpentry. Those gross profit percentages might be different, but gross profit per hour might not be. And direct, and direct labor efficiency that all circle around the same business model, Molly's laughing at me. So I, I coined my own term. This is, this is my one term, Molly. This is, I, I, get, I get in the book with my term, the GP trifecta. Molly's laughing. We got, we've got the GP trifecta. Do I have the right business model? And by and large, this proves itself out. We've got 25% GP. Is that right? Or we have, we have 45% GP or we have 33% GP. Well, our GP per labor hour is $25 or higher. That's the benchmark, 25 or higher. We've got really good direct LER. Put all three of those together and I've got a business model. Okay, let's hit the balance sheet. I, I can't leave uh, a discussion on KPIs without talking about the balance sheet. Where is my profit going to turn up first? How much money can I spend without impacting the business or at least knowing that this might have an impact? So I, I need to catch back up. Well, current ratio is a great place to start. All of this is in the... NCG financial spreadsheet. What I'm looking at here, one of the first things I look at, any financial spreadsheet that gets sent to me, one of the first things I look at is current ratio. What we're looking at here is short-term. So we're taking out long-term debt, basically truck loans, equipment loans, truck loans, and we're taking out the fixed assets associated with it. And we're just looking at checking and checking savings and, and receivables for the most part. So checking and receivables compared to payables, line of credit, and credit cards. Okay, so Andrew, this is great. I have a great current ratio. My balance sheet looks healthy. My, my direct labor uh, ratios are great. Gross profit is great, but I got no cash. Well, that's true. Current ratio does combine checking and receivables. So this is the one of the first places where profit will show up. You're making debt payments and distributions and what's left over is going to show up in your current ratio, in current assets. So if you're making a profit, then your current ratio will start to improve. The key is make a profit and keep it. The best way to, to improve your current ratio is to make a profit and keep it. So you got to be careful with debt. That's that balancing thing. We got to be careful with debt. And we got to be careful with distributions. But, okay, how much cash should I have? How do I know if my cash position is good enough? So days cash on hand. There was a change to this this year. Um, we had a lot of discussion about this leading up to the end of the year, 2021. Last year, we measured days cash on hand combined reserves and checking. So all cash, 30 days cash on hand was the benchmark. However, what we found was that it was a little muddy. And it was, it was having the discussion of, well, how much is reserves and how much is checking and how it, so 
it, be, it became a, a, a very cloudy discussion. So this year, uh, based on our own feedback, so our you could call that our own customer feedback, net our net getting our own net promoter score on this particular topic, we decided to make a change and measure these two things separately. I think mainly because savings reserve should be something that I don't touch unless the building falls down. I don't touch reserve. It's in a very safe place. Um, I, I do get pushed back that, wow, Andrew, that's a lot of money. I, I, could, I could put that in the market and make more money on it. Well, I, I could also put it in the market and lose it. So I, I would really encourage you to be extremely safe with your savings reserve. So we're pulling it out separately and we want to monitor it. It's something you could do at the end of the, or once a year is to bolster your savings reserve and then leave it. So the benchmark there is two months of overhead. We've, we've had that metric, I, I, think, I think, pretty much since the beginning, um, since we started doing this. And it, it's, it's remained a good number that when businesses have two months of overhead in reserve, in an account, sitting there doing nothing, everybody sleeps a whole lot better at night. And, and make no mistake, team, I'm, I am not emphasizing the greatest possible return I can get everywhere. I'm emphasizing balance. I want to balance how much sleep I get at night and the health of my business with maybe some return I can get, but I'm prioritizing health and sleep over return. On that note, that's the last one. I think those seven, if, if you're not looking at all seven, certainly picking at least a handful from that seven, maybe it, Molly, it's kind of like stock picks that way. If you're pick, pick the stocks that you want. These, I think these seven KPIs after lots of discussion uh, between us on our team, uh, I think those seven are the ones. Thanks for listening to this episode. Out of the Hourglass is recorded and produced by the team at Nolan Consulting Group, a nationwide business coaching and consulting firm with coaches located throughout the country. Have a question, comment, or idea for future episodes? We'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, www.nolancg.com.